Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Our guest today is John Holliday. John is the author of Clara Colby, The International Suffragist. This book is a story of Clara Bewick Colby, a leader in the campaign which resulted in American women achieving the right to vote. The story is a must-read for anyone looking forward to celebrating the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution. John, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast. Yes, thank you, Howard. So, John, I have to share with you, I have found the story of Clara Colby absolutely fascinating, and I know you've got quite a story to share here. So, can you begin this uh, conversation with a little bit of background about who you are and how you came to discover Clara Colby? Okay, I'd be happy to. I've recently become a, in the last 10 years, I suppose, I've become a writer, having had a varied business career. It started when I decided to write, first of all, a a memoir of my business experience. But then I discovered an ancestor who was actually my great-great-grandfather, who was a missionary to China. I really threw myself into that book and over five years produced a book which has now been published in England and in Taiwan in a Chinese version. But during the writing and research of that book, I found that his sister had a granddaughter who had an extraordinary life, and that's Clara Colby. These people are kind of in my ancestral chain up there, but not people that I heard much of growing up. Most of the information I've gathered has been research, traveling around the world and going into dusty archives and reading old letters and that sort of thing. But she had such a fascinating life. And I found that nobody had written that biography. And I thought that's a great opportunity to produce a book that gives honor to somebody who did something great with her life, you know. I have to say, and I'm sure there's a metaphor for this, is opportunity and timing and in the moment creates this wonderful insight and opportunity, I suppose. And as I was reading the book, I kept thinking to myself, I would love to have met her. She was so fascinating. So share a little bit about who was Clara Colby. Okay, well, she was born in England. And when she was three years old, her family decided to migrate to North America. The father was a worker on building railroads at the time, and he thought he'd have an opportunity in America to do that. In the end, he turned out being a a pioneer in Wisconsin. But when they went to sail from Bristol, they wouldn't let little three-year-old Clara on the ship. Now, we don't know why, but there was a pandemic at the time going through England of cholera. So if the captain saw any symptoms of cholera, he'd probably say, I'm not taking that child because it could get sick. But when he got to New York, probably everybody would be put in quarantine. So she was left with her grandmother who lived in London. She had a very I I believe, a very strong influence over Clara. And she got quite a good education for the early years of her life. Now, when she went out to join her mother and father in Wisconsin, it was a complete turnaround. She was going into the pioneer life that was tough, a real struggle to build a farm there. In fact, her parents, her mother died actually two months after Clara got there, died in childbirth. And, you know, that wasn't unusual in those days. It was a real struggle. So Clara had an unusual childhood. She started off with almost a privileged childhood in London and then went to the Pioneer Farm and found out what life was really like for many, many people. She started teaching in the school and then she became a student 
in the first class of females at uh, the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And she gra- graduated there and went on to teach at that university. She met her husband there, who was a dashing young guy who he was involved in the Civil War at the I think probably one of the last battles, but he was a young man who was a captain in the cadets at university and he would have been a dashing figure to this young girl and she fell in love and it started off very, very well. He graduated in law. They decided to move west to Nebraska and set up a law firm out there, which they did. And he was very successful as a lawyer. He was also a bit of a rogue, as we see later on in the book. (laughs) That came across. (laughs) By the way, before you go on, one thing that I was really drawn to early on is her relationship with her grandparents. You know, you described it in the book that her relationship, because she had spent so much time with them before she came over from the UK to North America, that they were almost like parents to her and just the ongoing communications with them. And for our listeners, you really, you'll appreciate this book when you see it. The book is interspersed with the letters of Clara Colby, perhaps letters from her suitor and the future Captain Colby, and then also of her grandparents. But I was really struck by that relationship between the grandparents and Clara. I mean, it was just like the bond was just unbelievably strong. Yeah, it was. And there was an awful lot of love and affection there. And I really think the grandparents were the making of Clara. She hardly knew her mother anyway. And the father was a very strict authoritarian Christian who didn't even support the local churches. He believed the Bible and its interpretation literally. So he was a very strict guy that would be very difficult to build a bond with him. So she gravitated to her parents, all the, her grandparents all the time. And uh, they had a very, very close relationship. So they go to Nebraska and it's there that she starts her involvement with the suffrage movement because it was there she meets Susan B. Anthony, one of the founders of the movement, and a little later, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who's uh, the other co-founder. They recognize immediately that she's got some talent that they could use in the organization. And they kind of mentor her to take on a role outside of Nebraska, encourage her to go on a speaking tour to Boston and, and Washington. That really is the start of things. Um, she becomes the secretary and later the president of the Nebraska Women's Suffrage Organization. And she starts a newspaper, the Woman's Tribune, which runs for 26 years and was one of the primary media outlets for the suffrage movement. That's a, a big influence on the movement itself and uh, gaining other members to it, etc. What was it like from your research and perhaps other readings? And actually, it's a good question. I'm curious, had you read any other works on the suffrage movement to help inform you about the book? But you know, working with the likes of or mentored by Susan B. Anthony and, and anybody that grows up in the U.S. should know, Ameri- well, ideally we know American history. We know who Susan B. Anthony was. Um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, okay, maybe not as much, I have to admit. I did, you know, but I knew who Susan B. Anthony was, so I get a C at least. Um what was the kind of the climate like that Clara was in 
and in, in Nebraska and writing this newspaper, what was it like for her to be involved with this movement, to be involved in writing this paper? Because, I mean, I, I think of it as like something like a salmon swimming upstream or Sisyphus trying to take the big boulder up the hill. In this case, the boulder didn't go back down, but that was not an easy path going forward. A huge task. And to think that somebody from the Midwest, from Nebraska, could influence this whole movement nationwide must have seemed just an impossibility. She had this attitude of attempting, of of persisting at something that had shown up earlier. She had been uh, several times, you could see it in her writings from university, frustrated by the situation that women were placed in particularly the pioneer women on farms and that sort of thing. But then when she was employed to teach at the university, she was put on a different level to the men and earned different salaries. So she was frustrated by those things and she saw that things that she wanted to change. When she first went to Nebraska, the first thing which I haven't mentioned here was she started the public library. So she was very social-minded and wanted to improve the world for men and women, really, but she had this goal of doing something for women nationwide. And it's a huge task, almost impossible. Do you attribute this personality, I mean, some of, to back to the, the, her grandparents, especially her grandmother? Yeah, I do. Having written about the grandmother's brother, too, and what he achieved, there's some similarities here. There's similarities in different ways, really, because from my point of view, you know, you mentioned Americans would know Susan B. Anthony. I didn't know these things when I started this book. You know, I grew up in England. I lived in Canada for some years, and I live in Australia now. So I was not brought up in an American school to learn those sorts of subjects. And same thing was true with my previous book. I was raised as a Christian, but my mother kind of dropped the ball a bit, and we weren't really very practicing Christians. So... And here I was writing about a missionary going to China, and I had to learn an awful lot about the history of Christianity, just as in this book I've been learning about the history of suffrage. And uh, it's been a fascinating journey. I've loved it. You know, I'm not coming into it with a sort of preconceived notion, either of the Christianity part or the suffrage. I'm looking at, if you like, as an outsider, and I don't have any judgments to make on rights and wrongs, that sort of thing. One thing that I find interesting is in some ways you're coming to this kind of like a with eyes wide open. I don't know what I'm going to find until I find it. And, and in this case, you found a treasure trove for your great, great, great grandfather. And you found another trough of gold, you know, for Clara Colby. I'm curious, had Clara ever met? I guess that would be her be an uncle, right? Yeah, yes, that's right. No, she didn't meet. He was in China most of his life or in Southeast Asia before he was allowed to go to China. But she would have known about him from her grandmother and he was in the press quite a bit. So, um, you know, he was quite a well-known person. But uh, when he, he returned to England for leave in the middle of his 40 years in the Far East. But at that time, Clara had already moved to Wisconsin, so she missed him there. But she met some of his, when she was visiting England in the suffrage movement later on in the book, she's visiting and working with the English suffragettes. Then she meets some of her family there. 
And also, the great aunt, that Walter Medhurst's granddaughter, she visited America. She lived in America for a long time, and um, uh, she stayed with, with Clara's sister. And in fact, when I grew up as a boy, my father died in the war, so my, we went to live with my grandfather. And his sister came back to live with us. This is the great aunt. I was pretty young, so I wasn't paying much attention. I wish I had because she'd have all stories. You know? Yeah, imagine that. That's what happens. Yeah. I can just remember always every time I went past the room, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, the typewriter. She was writing. So and we've never found those, what she wrote, but it would have been perfect, you know. <laughs> it's probably hidden in some box and you know, between some beams and the floor. That's where stuff usually. Now, the, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. I'm struggling, John, because like, hey, where do we go now? Um, I'm curious about the work that you did to prepare the book. I mean, this is no small feat. I mean, you, you, you had a taste of it by doing your research and writing the first book, and now you're doing it again. So what was your process to, start to gather the information and the letters that became the structure of this book. And again, folks, this is what's really cool is John has interspersed his writing with actual excerpts from these letters, which from a historical context, I find absolutely fascinating. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. I thought that too, but nice to hear it from a third party. Yeah, I really started by putting up a great big chart on the wall of her life from go to woe sort of thing. And without the intention of, of documenting her whole life, I was just trying to find out what I knew about her life and what parts of that life. And, and was there a story sort of in the middle that would, would make a nice book? But in the end, I saw this, no, you could put the whole thing up here. And uh, so this wall chart became quite large and detailed. All right. So I got a question. Do you have a picture? Did you ever take a picture of the wall chart? No, I didn't. I should do. <laughs> oh, my God, John. Uh, it was a, it's a bit scruffy. That's the only thing. You know? <laughs> Scruff, scruffy yeah. is good. Okay. So you got this wall chart and then what? Well, then, you know, I realized I've got to go and travel somewhere where there was information. I find these days there's a tremendous amount online. For example, there's a Dutch company uh, that was funded by some millionaire in, in Holland many, many years ago, but they have collected online a whole lot of information about the suffrage movement, and they have every copy of the Woman's Tribune. And I could access through my the Australian National Library, I could get the rights to go into this source. And so I could read every one of these. Now, that was a gold mine. Not only had her writings, but it had lots of writings of Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cody Stanton and lots of others. So that was a great source. But then I started talking with the librarian in Nebraska, the, the library that Clara started in Beatrice. I thought there'd be some records there. And she told me, no, they collected records from around the country and they've stored them all in Madison at the uh, Wisconsin Historical Society. So that became the place to go to. And I spent two weeks there, sitting in the archives there and uh, just going through these documents. And I, was, uh, I should just relate the story of when I found one letter that I recognised the address. It was from where I grew up. And um, looked through this handwritten letter, and it turned out it was from my great-grandmother to her daughter, in California, who was staying with 
Clara. And she said, my son and his wife are away at the moment. I'm looking after the, the granddaughter. That was my mother. Oh, <laughs> wow. Was, that letter had been waiting 100 years for me to find. And uh, so that's the sort of thing that goes on when you're, when you're researching these, these things, or if you're lucky, that is, anyway. Now, as you were doing the research, is there anybody else, perhaps in your family, your, you know, your immediate family, and then maybe ancestrally, like your parents, grandparents, that maybe had similar pursuits of documenting the family history? Because that's really what you're doing in a way. I mean, the output is a book. Yeah. Um, no, not really. There's uh, one or two. Uh, I, I have met somebody who's, yeah, he's now a barrister in London, um, and he's descended from Walter Medhurst. And, yes, he did have a file of uh, family papers. So uh, that was more helpful in when I was writing the Mission to China book than, than in this one. And, uh, yes, he was a, a great help, actually. Okay. What would you like the legacy of this book to be? I mean, again, it's a wonderful book and well-written. And again, those letters just to me are amazing. But what would you like this legacy to be? I mean, we're, uh, we're also, again, coming up in August to the 100th anniversary of the suffrage movement. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I, I, I think that Clara is kind of like a, I call her the forgotten soldier of the sisterhood. Her life is just amazing. She dedicated this to this movement. And by comparison, you know, there's, yeah, I'm not knocking the, the founders of the, the movement, etc. They're so well known. But uh, there are quite a few others that get um, are featured more prominently. But their, their fame might be restricted to one part of the United States, whereas Clara was involved right across every state in America and, and heavily into the congressional hearings and that sort of thing. So she was such an influence on the organization and she got forgotten. And I, I do think it's partly because of her personal life. She had, I mentioned this rogue that she married. <laughs> the readers will find out about that. But um, in the end, she had to get divorced. I mean, he was going to divorce her anyway, and she managed to defend that, and they turned it around, and she was granted the divorce herself. But that was considered a, uh, a bad thing at the time, and a lot of her fellow suffragettes looked down on her for that. She was divorced, and uh, you know that's not a good thing. The other part of the story I haven't, we haven't even covered is uh, where Leonard Colby, her husband, was a general in the... Um, Nebraska National Guard, and he was involved in, not in actually the, the massacre at Wounded Knee, but he was in the cleanup of it afterwards, his troops. And they found a child under the body of his dead mother. And he wanted that child as a trophy of war. He adopted the child while Clara was away in Washington, um, making congressional submissions, etc. He sent her a telegram saying, come home, you've become a mother. And without even asking her, you know, so, and he was using this for his own personal fame and, and he got a lot of coverage nationwide in the newspapers, but he quickly tired of that and left Clara to bring up this child, which was a, a real struggle. But not only that, there was also quite a bit of prejudice in those, like racial prejudice in those days. And I found a, quite a number of those fellow suffragists where they would 
you know, what's she doing with this Indian child, you know, sort of turning up their nose at that as if, like today, we, we it's hard to understand, but those were different times and uh, these people had a lot of different attitudes. But I think those two things, the divorce and raising an Indian child or a native child, put her down in, in the, the eyes of the fellow suffragists. And, of course, she died also uh, four years before the 19th Amendment. So by the time that came around, and she had no sort of close, like a husband who was supporting her, and no close member to carry on her name and give, give her the credit she was due. So my book, I hope, will give her the credit and people will say, wow, that woman should be on an American postage stamp or something. You know, she's done such a great thing for women. So that's that's the, my goal. Is that, and I had hoped to be over there next month. And I had, um, I've got a publicist that you know, Linda, and uh, she's um, she'd arranged for me to speak at different events and, and functions. And so, uh, but uh, unfortunately, it's all cancelled. So <laughs> that's life. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, it would have been wonderful for you to be able to come over and participate. I know this is a hard question to ask, and you may not know the answer. And if you were sitting having a conversation with Sarah, you know, over an adult beverage, a cup of tea, whatever, what do you think she would say as she looked back in her life? What do you think she would say? I think in the end, she would have said my biggest mistake was my marriage. She would not have said that until the very end because she loved that man so much and she believed in that eventually he would come around and they'd get together. And it was, She just had total confidence. She was almost blind to it, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a sad part of her life, actually. A bit of a tragedy, you know. Well, she was such a, you know, fascinating, intelligent, driven, and giving, you know, just to be able to, I mean, it could not have been easy going from town to town. And and I seem to remember, I don't know if it was a TV show, a movie that depicted some of these suffragettes going into towns in the West as they kind of were in the, you know, the, the center of the country and how they were treated and, you know, having to live in flop houses and, you know, not the, not the nicest of accommodations as they're going around the country trying to pursue, you know, this, this vision. Well, it got worse as, it, as her life went on because um, uh, she was not given any support from her husband and financially she was living off handouts basically towards the end. Like um, fun, she did fundraising to, for the cause but, uh, and she got various state organisations to sponsor her to go and speak in different states so they would finance all her expenses and, and some of the living expenses, etc. But it was a tough time for her. And persistence was the number one word in her life. You know, she just kept at it all the way through, right up to the end. Yeah. Wow. Now, she um, she passed away. She was in, like, was it Santa Clarita or Santa Clara? Yes. Um, well, she was up in Oregon. That's um, where she, uh, she first got sick. And her, her sister lived down in, in California, and she was a doctor. So she came up to Oregon, and after a while, she realized she wasn't getting better, and the doctor had her practice to run back in California. So she bundled her into the car, some little old Model T or whatever it was, and drove her back down there. 
and that's where she eventually died. So uh, a sad end to a, a wonderful life. Yeah, very sad, and, and yeah, very a wonderful life. I should say this really because people won't read the book now; they, they know the ending. Oh darn! <laughs> well, hey, you know, there, there's some, there's tons of nuggets of gold here. So, uh, <laughs> what, so John, what, what have been your lessons or your insights as you have written this novel? I suppose uh, it, it's an inspiration. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm getting on a bit myself, so it's, uh, it's, it's a bit pointless because I haven't got a whole lot of years left to, to be inspired by, but I, I am inspired by it. And I, I can pass it on to my children and grandchildren and tell them, look, you've got to learn from this and live like you're, you're one of your ancestors because she is inspirational, you know. Well, yeah, and you've got, you know, two ancestors, you know, the the mission, the missionary, and William Methurst and and Clara Colby, and you know, you actually have a legacy of the third book, your business book. So that's that's pretty darn good. Pretty oh yeah, good. I'm I'm pretty happy about Fantastic. that. Fantastic, John. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you uh, on Success Insight podcast, and again, it's been a pleasure just to. Uh, read the book, get to learn more about Clara Colby. And I mean, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, oh, I would love to have met her. She's yes. like fascinating, fascinating woman. Um, yes. Thank you again for taking the time. And if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? Well, you can go to um, uh, the book website, I guess, which is Talai Books, T-A-L-L-A-I books.com. Fantastic. So we'll provide a link back to Tally Books on our show notes as well as to the book page on Amazon. And, hey, if you get back to uh, the States, uh, God willing, you will. And uh, yeah, so if you come, if, I don't know if I'm still in Chicago or by Las Vegas, just look me up. So I'd love to have an adult beverage with you. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure once again. And, and I know it's uh it's 5.30 here in Chicago, so it's probably early morning on a Saturday for you right now, I was supposed. That's right. Thank you very much, Howard, for interviewing me. Fantastic. All right, folks, we've just been chatting with John Holliday. He is the author of Clara Colby, The International Suffragist. The book is a story of Clara Colby, a leader in the campaign which resulted in American women achieving the right to vote. And the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment is coming up in August. So if you are in any way interested in constitutional law, our constitution in general, uh, women's rights, the suffragist movement. This is a must-read book to have on your bookshelf or on your electronic device. So go check it out. Uh, again, we'll provide links back to talibooks.com, the website, as well as to the book page on Amazon. All right, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. Be safe. Stay quarantined. And hug your friends, well, don't hug your friends, hug your family who are quarantined there with you. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com. 